That was pretty awesome, Thank right? You guys. Great job. Thank you, volunteers. You guys worked hard. They worked for like a month to make that happen for us, to make scripture come alive. Squirt bottles and all. Squirt bottle tears. It's pretty, pretty awesome. It, I don't know what translation you were reading. That was the New One Church version. And uh, it's pretty meaningful stuff. How are you doing, sweetie? Good. Good. Um, well, we are in this series called The Bounce Back. I'm going to borrow this chair here. Uh, we're in this series called The Bounce Back. And if you walked in a couple minutes late, you may have noticed this is a family service. Uh, this is the first family service that we've had um, like this, and it's been, it's been pretty awesome so far. It, kids have led us in worship, taught us some scripture. Uh, really, this is the church, right? Every generation together. Like, this is what the church really is, and so we're going to be more intentional about worshiping like this. Uh, probably, I mean, don't hold us to it, but probably once a series, as, as there's a week that makes a ton of sense to all be together. We're going to all be together. It'll look different each time. But um, the good thing is some of you adults are loud and you don't have to feel bad about it this week. <laughs> Children are here to, to make you feel better about it. Um, yeah, so we're glad that you're here for the family service and to just make it an extra special family service. My mom flew in to go to family service with you. Yeah. We're talking about resilience, and I thought my mom being here would be perfect after raising me to talk about not quitting and all those things. It's so, uh, yeah, huge gift. Um, here's, our, here's our definition of resilience for this series. Resilience is the ability to recover, return to the original form. This is, this is a reminder that we are made as image bearers, Right? We're not like the, God didn't make the platypus and say that platypus has my image. He, he made you and I and said, man, woman, that is my image. And so as image bearers, we were created. We were given authority. We were told to represent God here on earth. And then we do a ton of stuff. And a bunch of life happens. And the, this idea of resilience is our ability to recover and return to the truth that we are an image bearer. We pick up other identities along the way, and, and it's this reminder that, no, no, you may have done that, or you may have experienced that, but that doesn't define you. And so then we bounce back and, and become uh, image bearers again. The truth of resilience and bouncing back is kids are better at it than we are, right? I just watched little Zoe. She was running around the corner over here, fell, chairs went flying, and as soon as everybody else was okay, she just smiled, got back up, and kept going. <laughs> no lie, last week, I pulled a muscle in my back reading. <laughs> Whatever that says about me, it says about me. <laughs> Kids are resilient. And there's something in us that just bounces back into who we are physically. And sometimes... Most often, when we're children, we start to pick up identities that are outside of who we are in Christ, and we start to get a little lost, and this series is about bouncing back 
and returning to who it is that we're created to be, returning to being this image bearer that we were meant to be. Last week, if you were here, we talked about endurance, and, and Jamel walked us through just what it looks like to endure these tough seasons, and today we're talking about change. Everybody's favorite, right? Who in here actually, I know there are humans who like change. Who in here likes change? Yeah, look at that. There's a good collection of us. The rest of the people in this room think you're lying. It's just true. There's parts of my life that I love change, and then it's really evident that I don't. It's evident by the fact that I still tie my shoes with two loops, because that's the first way I learned to tie them, and I don't want to change. I've taught my kids how to do it the other way, but I just prefer the first way. It's easier. I know how to do it. I've done it my whole life. You, you can see it that when you get married, usually change is what the first fights are about. I didn't do it this way. That's not where we put forks in my house. Don't make me move where we put forks. Don't make me, uh, the toilet paper discussion on which side the, the toilet paper comes off, Right? Whether glasses are put in the drawer upside down or right side up, all of these things are like points of war. I remember even in college, like getting in conflict with my roommate over like, don't change things on me. And this is, this is how I do it. And, and he did it a totally different way. And it was enough to like no longer be friends because I didn't want to change. We've got serious issues like with this. More serious, I, I have friends right now who are in jobs that they hate. And they complain. And they're miserable. And, and I'll say, like, well, could you get another job? Like, I hear that there are jobs. Could you get another one? And they say, well, n- n- no. I know how to do this one. It's familiar. I hate it. It's hard for my body. I'm miserable. I'm probably, I've, I've got friends who are like, I'm going to die because of this job. And, like, that probably isn't a good job for you then. Maybe you should change. No, I know how to do this job. I know how to do this. We stay in ruts because ruts are familiar. But those who bounce back, those who bounce back are people who return to the image bearer form and are willing to change and let go of everything else. Those who bounce back are the ones who say, you know what, my life has been headed this way. I've been living this way, but I was made as an image bearer, and I'm going to go and change and allow God to do what God's going to do. So I shouldn't need to preach because they just lived out this scripture well, but we're going to look at Paul in the book of Acts. I'll go ahead and if you, I'm not going to read it because they just inter, they just acted it out, but in Acts 20, you kind of pick up the passage. I want to give you some context around it. When we look at Paul, we don't usually, I don't usually talk about him this way. I don't know why, but like Paul was a person like us, right? And his life seems to go like page by page really fast, but he moved in real time like we do, and he moved among real people. And when Paul begins his ministry, he is going everywhere. He like lives out of a suitcase. Have you noticed that? That he, He's just city to city, place to place, bouncing back and forth. He goes and starts a church, and it seems like as soon as that church would start having people problems, he goes to another church, and he goes and starts another church, and he, he like, lives out of this suitcase. He's eating at every, like, first century gas station that there is, just going place to place. And if, 
Have any of you guys ever done that where you just traveled a lot and, and you've had a season of life where you're gone? I'll tell you, for me, like as much as I would complain about it, it was pretty fun. It's pretty fun and you get in a routine like, oh man, I, I can shave in this hotel and leave my little whiskers and like they're gone when I get back. That's pretty slick. And when you're traveling a lot, like he, he's just going and, and usually we attribute that to some type of personality and we think that must be the only way that God's going to use Paul because he so was using Paul as he did this. And then he gets to Ephesus and the brakes are thrown on. Paul gets to Ephesus and I'm thinking it's going to be like every other city he goes to. Three months he's in, in, the, in the temple preaching and people don't like it. They're not responding well. So he just moves and he moves to the, the hall of, of Tyrannius and, and he's there for two years preaching at night. Now, during the day, he's making tents all day. He's, he's working hard. He's providing for himself in that way. And he makes the tents during the day. And at, at the noon lunch hour and in the evening, he is preaching every single day in the same city. So he's used to living out of a suitcase. And then for 27 months, he's in one city. That's a big change. That's a big change to go from like traveling all the time to being locked into a people, locked into a job. And it's not like he got to just work by himself when he's making these tents and like prepare his messages or anything like that. Like people are coming to him constantly. People are coming with handkerchiefs and aprons and like he touches the apron, like a tent maker's apron, you know, with like tool belt kind of thing. And they go bring the apron to a sick person and the sick person becomes well. They bring a handkerchief that touches him, and he brings that handkerchief. Like, we need to think about this. This is what the Bible said. Is that real? Did that happen? That he's, like, sweating, and like Jamel, whenever he preaches, and, and he, <laughs> someone hands him the handkerchief, and he uses the handkerchief, but then the person is healed when they get it back. Like, we throw it away. They're healed. That is incredible, right? And for 27 months, that's happening. He's used to going place to place, living out of his first century suitcase. And all of a sudden, he is locked into a community. And this giant church forms. This giant group of people. We see in the book of Acts that all of the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. I think this is significant for a couple reasons. First of all, it says all. You know what I think that means? I think, I think it means like... Every people in Asia heard the word of the Lord through Ephesus. Ephesus was this hub where everybody went in. I think people came in, they heard the word of the Lord, they went home, and they were like, you ever hear about that guy named Paul with the handkerchief? And they went and told the story. I think that's what was happening. Another thing that I think really matters for us, and this is kind of a side, all the people of Asia heard the word of the Lord. We're really weird here in the United States. We think that translates to mean like all of the people in the United States heard of the Lord. Like God brought the gospel to Asia well before he brought it to my people in Norway or here in the United States. There, there's, there's order and there's interesting stuff. Like that should matter to us. When we look at the world and when we're praying for the world, God went to Asia and he brought Asia to Ephesus. And all of this, this is the movement that the church was founded in. This is a beautiful thing. And so for these two years, people who are sick, they get well. We, we have 
uh, people who are into magic, who, who think that uh, as they use these magic books, that there's words that they can use to trick the gods, and then the gods will give them what they want. And they meet Paul, and they meet the gospel, and they're like, forget these books of magic. So they have a giant pile of books that they just light on fire. Like CNN would be all over that. Just piles of flaming books. But here's the other thing. There are people there who sell those books. We're pretty upset that like all of a sudden their income is gone. I make money by selling magic books. You're burning magic books and not needing them anymore. And Paul's like, no, I'm making tents and I'm telling people about Jesus for 27 months. A, a giant riot breaks out in Ephesus. A complete riot because people were no, no longer buying silver trinkets for false gods. They would come to Ephesus wanting to worship a false god. They would hear about Jesus and say, I don't need a silver trinket anymore. And so like the Gatlinburg of Ephesus went away and all the money went away. And people were like, hey, I made money making these little statues. I can't sell them anymore. And they couldn't get their money anymore. It was all economic. And they were like, well, I want my money. And so they threw a giant riot to get Paul and the gospel of Jesus out of Ephesus. That should be empowering to us, guys. As we look at following after Jesus and whatever, like, even economic changes we bring about as we're like, no, I don't need that anymore. I'm going to follow Christ and Christ alone and watch how he uses that to transform things. And then, after 27 months, Sounds to me like he's just going to be there forever. He's pretty effective. All of Asia heard about it. After 27 months, it's time for change. It looks like his life is set in concrete, and God calls Paul to go to Jerusalem. And not to go to Jerusalem and have like the same kind of success and cool stuff. To go to Jerusalem and lay his life down, pretty much. To go to Jerusalem and be imprisoned. To go and experience the complete opposite. You're used to this life of tent making and preaching. And you're used to the kingdom of God looking like numbers coming in, miraculous signs and all that. And you go to Jerusalem to go to prison. And, and Paul shows some southerness there and says, yes, sir. And he goes. How does Paul do this? I believe he was resilient. So I was thinking this week of when I was, when I was younger, uh, my, my extended family got together on my dad's side, and my uncle wanted to teach me to ski, which had to be hilarious. And he wanted to teach me to water ski, and he put me on this behind a boat, and he was like, Matt, you sit with your legs up and the rope like this, and just sit there. And like, no, really, what do I do? He's like, I want you to sit there with your legs up like that. And, and your arms out at, at a slight angle, but don't pull too far in because that's going to mess you up. And don't go straight because that's going to mess you up. But keep your legs slightly bent. And he told me really simply, he said, hold on to the rope and hold a strong base. And I was like, okay, what am I supposed to do? And he said, oh, and keep your ski tips up. That's all he gave me. I'm like, okay, so I'm supposed to go from like sitting in a life jacket in the water like this to all of a sudden like skiing on top of the water. And he's like, yeah, if you follow my instructions, that'll, that's what'll happen. Hold the rope, keep a strong base, keep your ski tips up. Okay, I'm going to do it. He took off with the boat. I let go of the rope. <laughs> Instantly. 
I didn't know it was going to hurt, like I was going to feel it. Like it didn't hurt or anything, but all of a sudden it's like a giant boat is trying to pull me out of the water. So I let go of it. It takes him like five minutes to get back around, get the rope to me. And he's probably like, oh, Matt. He says, Matt, seriously, this time, hold on to the rope. Okay, I'll hold on to the rope. This time I hold on to the rope, but I automatically pretend that my legs are noodles and I let the bottom of my ski tips go into the water and I just plummet over, but I'm not letting go of that rope. So I just keep going like this. No lie, they stop the boat, I stop moving and I'm still sitting there. I am listening. I am listening to you. He picks me up in the seaweeds and he's like, that's not how you ski. And I was like, I imagined. Looks different on TV. He's like, here's what I'm telling you, Matt. Have a strong base. Knees bent, arms bent, but strong base. Hold on to that rope, and you'll go wherever that boat goes. And I, this isn't like a preacher story. This is real. So I sat there. And I was like, okay, I'm going to listen. I had my legs bent, had my ski tips up, had my arms out. He, he, hits, the, he hits the motor, and I started to ski. And I did, like, start to do this, and he's like, no, no, oh, right, 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 right. And, and we go, and it's the weirdest feeling. I don't know if you guys ski. I, I don't do it well. But, like, the boat goes, and the skier goes way out from the boat. Like, the boat turns like this, and the skier's like, hey, 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 way out here, right? And, and when you're skiing, like, there's wake everywhere, so your feet are doing this kind of thing. Like, they're just constantly, like, jumping over waves. But you know what? All you have to really do is hold a strong base and hold on to the rope. That's really all I did. I was like, wow, I feel like Superman. Like, I'm just going over all of this kind of stuff. And then he brings you by the dock, and that's the time that you can stop listening to him and let go of the rope, and you just kind of ease your way back in. And I was like, that's an incredible experience, and my entire body, like, hurts because I didn't want to trust you, and I tensed up everywhere. And I go back skiing again, and like, oh, really, all this is, is I hold my base, and I hold the rope, and I can ski. And if I can do those things, I can do everything. And you can turn left, and I can go left. And you can turn right, and I can go right. And I can go wherever you lead me, at whatever speed you lead me. And I feel all of the change. I feel every single turn. But I can ski if I hold my base and I hold onto the rope. This is how Paul said this. He gathered these elders who he lived with for 27 months. They wept together and he said, I never shrank back. Never. Here's what resilience looks like. He came in as somebody who was used to traveling, and he was planted in a way that he didn't think he would be for 27 months. And then he was told, hey, you're going to go, and you're not just going to go on like a vacation. You're going to go to prison. And he followed God's lead, and he said, here's what it looks like. I never shrank back. You watched me. I never shrank back. Not once. I remember when we started this church about a year and a half ago. Well, it was about two years now that I was talking with Jamel. We were all in the process of, of launching this. This was actually a really like, uncomfortable time because we were about to say goodbye to the churches as we knew them and start this. It was just a weird time, right? And I remember reading the scripture and being like, I pray that I can say that to my church. I want to say, you know what? I screwed up 5,000 times but I never shrank back. I never hid from what God invited me into. There's this part of King Saul where 
where Saul, he's really dismissed because he, he, he's told that, well, you, I called you, God says, I called you king, but you were too small in your own eyes. And there was a time when he was to be crowned as king and he was hiding in the luggage. I don't want to be somebody like that. I get scared. I get overwhelmed. I didn't know when I started to pray that I would be someone who didn't shrink back. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know the wake that we would be crossing. I didn't know how fast we'd be making turns and how sharp we'd be making turns and how much change would come in our culture, in our church. I didn't, I didn't know, but I, I'm praying that we follow Paul's lead here and we can say to one another, I never shrank back through riots, through threats, through hard work, through healings, even time to leave. He never shrank back. And he said his goal was not to build this massive church in Ephesus. His goal was not to retire in Ephesus. His goal was to finish the course. I'm going to finish what God has for me. God has something in front of me, and I'm going to follow until he says, let go. And then you can let go. He says this, I only count that I may finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus. If we want to be resilient through change. We need to become people who learn to not shrink back and learn and learn to finish the course. Whatever that means. I want to finish other things, right? I want to replace the ministry God's given me with whatever seems more certain. He says, no. This is what you are called to and stick to what you are called to whatever change might look like. Business in Ephesus wasn't Paul's goal. The church in Ephesus wasn't Paul's goal. Fulfilling God's call was the course. And he stayed on that. And when that that course turned to Jerusalem, then without shrinking back, Paul saying goodbye to his friends, feeling it all, feeling the fear and the anxiety and all of that, followed to where God was calling him to go. Now, here's the thing. This is not just in location. We're not talking about just physically being in different cities and how long you're there. This is how Paul viewed life. Look at 1 Corinthians 9 real quick. Can we do that, buddy? Please? Okay. First Corinthians 9, 19, he says this. For though I am free from all, I've used myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself under the law, and that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside of the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win some who are weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I may save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. I, I, honestly, I used to read this like Paul was deceptive. Like he was trying to trick people. That's not his heart. That's not what he's doing. He's really clear that the only law that he follows is the law of Christ. What Jesus says is the law that he follows, but when he goes to people who are under more restrictive things, he lives more restrictive. 
He's next to someone who can't eat pork. You know what he does? He doesn't eat pork. Because it's going to trip that guy up if he eats pork next to him. And then when he's among people who don't even know the law of Christ, of course he's surrendered to the law of Christ, but he doesn't make it about the law. Why would we do that? He makes it about Christ. He makes it about Jesus and what this gospel really is about. That's what it is. So when he's with people who are in real restrictive environments, he lives restrictive for them. And then when he's among people who don't know what law is, he like goes and says, hey, you have a temple right there. You have a stone for an unnamed God. Let me tell you the name of that God. Let me tell you what Jesus looks like. Let me tell you what matters. Because really, all that really matters is Jesus. Not that you like look like you're following Jesus, but that you're following Jesus. That's what matters. That's what this is about. This word weak, we think like physically frail. What he's talking about is people who did not have a voice and did not have authority and were insignificant in their culture. What we forget is that Paul had amazing privilege, incredible privilege. For those of us who live with privilege, look at how Paul handled it. He had incredible privilege, and he said, to those who do not have a voice, I will live as one who does not have a voice. Now, of course, he's speaking out. He's constantly speaking out, but he says earlier, he's not using his rights as someone who's privileged to cause other people to stumble. I'm allowed under the law these certain things as a Roman citizen. I I have this level of privilege. I'm going to submit all of that so that I may be able to be next to some people as they find Jesus. I'm going to use my voice for them. I'm going to use any bit of strength that I have for them so that they see that we're the same, not as some trick, but in reality. He says that his whole point here that he might be in the blessing of seeing people know who Jesus is. And so whatever changes God wants to bring about, he's just going to, well, he's not going to shrink back and he's going to follow the course. He's going to have a strong base and hold on to that rope. Reality is you, me, we're image bearers. And in there, we're called to be resilient. And I'm wondering, before we go into communion, before we go to the cookout, all this kind of stuff, what is it that you're returned to? What is it about you being an image bearer that you need to return to? What changes are you, are you reluctant to that God might be bringing you into where you, you recover who it is that you are meant to be? What does that look like? What does it look like to not shrink back in your life? Is there an area of your life that you keep thinking is an identity for you? That as an act of defiance to that identity and allegiance to God that you need to say, I will not shrink back and fall into that again. Is there a part of your life as an advocate for people or for God's kingdom where you need to say, I will not shrink back, I'm going to live into this, what does it look like for you and me to finish the course that God has in front of us? Well, I know what it looks like for us all collectively, at least one small way that we all get to practice change. And here's what, can somebody turn the house lights up? I want you to look around the room. This isn't a real big room. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but it's, uh, it's pretty full. 
And so people who are, are new into any church kind of setting, if the room is 75 to 80% full, that feels like there's no room for me. If there's only room in the front, that means I'm going to go get a coffee. I mean, real honestly, that's what it means. And so if we look around this room, we're over 80% full. We are. We could put a couple more chairs in here, but then we can't pass the love the same, and it's all different and awkward. And Like, reality is, we're full. And what that says to anybody who's not in the room is we don't have room for you. And that is the opposite of what God has called us to be. And so as you look around this room, you see that we, we've already gone through change. This church has gone through change. We've changed locations. We're going to eventually be at 1212, and we're so excited about that, but we really believe that we're called to practice change already. And here's what we're looking at. On October 8th, when we start our next series, which is called The Vicious and the Virtuous, and we're looking at vices and virtue. I'm really excited about this series. On October 8th, we're looking at we need to have two services. This is really the first week of fall. And fall is when people kind of like, fall in January is when people are like, hey, you know what? I want to start over. I want to like reinvest in church. I want to come back and build rhythms. And if they try to build rhythms with us, accidentally, we're saying we don't have space for you. And so October 8th, we're starting two services at 10 and 1130. So for some of you, it just means you'll see a whole service, which is great. <laughs> and for others of you, you come a little bit earlier at, at, at 10. We have some options. And here's really what we're asking, though. We don't want this to just, you, none of you just come. This is like a family, more than other churches I've been a part of. So here's what we need. We need you to be praying that God would send people, that we would invite our friends who, remember the day that we had the chair offering, we had the names offering? We've started to see some of those names start to experience the goodness of our Father. Let's pray that the rest of those people that we love know the goodness of our Father, and we will have room for them. Real practically, we need some of the room to say, hey, I'll be there at 10 o'clock. Honestly, we need some of those people to be white and some of those people to be black because that's our church. We don't want to accidentally have a white service and a black service. We wouldn't do that on purpose, but accidentally we could do it. Us, I've never been around more white people who are late than this church. <laughs> we could accidentally just be the second service like, we don't want to do that kind of thing, right? So we're going to be asking you in the next month, will you pray about kind of for the next couple months? Hey, you know what? I'm committing to the 1130 service. I'm committing to the 10 o'clock service. We're going to need people helping. The children's ministry is so excited, but we could use a couple people. You could go to one service, serve at the other. We're going to need extra grace for our band. You can imagine, that's a much longer day for them. They've been gracious and excited about it, but it's a longer day. Be praying for us. Let's be excited about it. This is an awesome opportunity. When we first started this church, we were like, I believe that we could fill a room. And this is an exciting day to be like, I believe we could fill a room twice. And then I believe that God's inviting us to change again and go to 12-12. And that there's other people there who desperately need to hear Jesus. And, and we'll be able to go and be that. And then what that means six months from now, I don't know. But we will be a church that will not. Hey, how are you doing? No, you're fine. We will be a church that doesn't shrink back. That doesn't. And we will be a church that follows it to completion. Whatever that means. 
And we'll learn to do that next to one another. We'll do it individually. We'll do it as a whole. Is this exciting news? Y'all look like I stole your birthday. We're growing, guys. This is good. We haven't yet finished this course. And we want to say that we, we won't shrink back. And we'll have tons more information for you on the two services as we go. But now let's really focus on what is it that God's doing within you and within me, okay? I want to pray for us. Let's pray for whoever's in the hallway as well. <laughs> Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you that the you that filled Paul is the same you that fills us. And for this man who was filled with anointing and power and your kingdom, saw healing, saw economies fall, saw change come, saw your kingdom in real ways, and followed you wherever you led, I thank you that you haven't changed and you're doing the same today. And may we trust you as you bring change about in our life. May we be healthy emotionally and process everything, but may we have a strong base and hold on to what you're doing for us. May we be people who don't shrink back. Thank you. In your name, amen.